You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about bookstores, the books inside them, and book culture. I'm your host, Vic Singh. Please subscribe to Book Stories on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to shows. And thanks for helping us spread the word. This is a conversation I had with Madhuri Vijay, author of the book, The Far Field, a story about a woman's search for a lost figure from her childhood. The story takes place in two very different corners of India. We discuss those differences and much more. It's an ambitious and well-executed debut novel. We had a really great chat, so here it is, my conversation with Madhuri Vijay. I'm Madhuri Vijay, author of The Far Field. You're listening to Book Stories. So Madhuri, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Uh, And congratulations on your debut. Thank you. So set the stage a little bit. Um, Where are you from and how did you get to writing this story? (laughs) That's a fairly long stage. Um, I, I was born in Bangalore and I grew up there. And I left India for the United States in order to go to college. Um, I went to Lawrence University, which is a small liberal arts college in the middle of Wisconsin in a town called Appleton. And once I finished my degree there, I got a degree in English and psychology. And once I finished my degree, I traveled for a while. And then I went to graduate school also in the U.S. And that was when I went to graduate school for writing. And that was really when I, that was the first time I had seriously considered writing anything, but writing a novel. You went to Iowa, right? The Writer's Workshop? I did. Was the genesis of this story something that you had submitted to them before you were a student there? Like had this idea, had the kernel for this idea already pre-existing or was this something that came later down the road? Both. It actually, I, I submitted what I, what I told them was a beginning of a novel, which I never did anything with while I was at Iowa. And then when I went back to it, I didn't write that book at all. So it, ex- it predated my time in graduate school, but it also, the, the novel I eventually wound up writing had nothing to do with that initial <laughs> piece of writing I submitted yeah. to them. Who were some writers that inspired you to even want to go to writing school? Like what, you know, what was the, what's your Mount Rushmore of writers or maybe styles of writing if you don't want to name a particular name? Like what, what got you to say like, I want to do this and I want to go to the best place in the world to do it? Uh, I, it wasn't, it wasn't a writer that made me want to go to graduate school. It was my teacher who is a writer, of course. Um, But a a teacher from undergrad talked to me about graduate school and was quite insistent that I consider it. Mm-hmm. And that was really why I, I began thinking about it. Because before that, I, despite having gone to undergrad in the United States, I, hadn't, I didn't really understand what an MFA was or why one would need to get it. And it was, it was this teacher who really introduced the entire concept to me. And it was because of him that I applied to Iowa. So my, I came to it sort of backwards. Accidentally. Accidentally. That's the best way sometimes. Um, Talk about title. I'm kind of fascinated by how people come up with names for things in general. What does it mean in the context of this story, and how did you arrive at it? I didn't even arrive at it. It wasn't my title. I'm singularly bad at titles. I, I always 
wind up giving things names that have accidentally dirty meanings. But I just I just never think about it. So I'm really bad at at titles. Um, this was this comes from the poem of the same name, The Far Field, by Theodore Rutke. And it's from his collection, also titled The Far Field, and it's a posthumous collection. The poem, when it was introduced to me, was immediately, I, I was riveted by it. I, I, was, I felt about it the way you feel about the best poems, that it was about everything, that it was just as a, a vast cathedral of meaning and life. And so when I was looking around for a title for this book, that was the one that, you know, someone suggested to me and it, it fit perfectly hmm. because of how much I loved the poem. So you heard it from somebody and then it just worked. It worked, yes. Did you have the book done before the title or did it come Yes, somewhere? I had the book done before the title. Interesting. Yes, and, and um, it does what I think title should do, or I hope it does, it's easy and, and short, and it also manages to be many things at once. So I, 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 I like it a lot. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, very expansive. And before you open the book, it's, it has all this possibility. Right. What was your thought process in structuring the story in the first person? Oh, Process-wise, yeah. just like what, like when you're about to embark on your debut novel and it's a sweeping story, um, what got you to think about it in first person versus another format? Just again, I'm, it's kind of a process, process-oriented question. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I didn't actually start writing in the first person. I spent more than a year writing a novel in various third-person voices. And I, when I think about that novel now, I think I like to say that I was working backwards from the blurbs. You know, it okay. was like a, it was a book that I, I was imagining what I ought to write, or what would sort of be most appealing to readers and to the market and that kind of thing. And I was I already had the sort of adjectives in my head that we were going to use for this novel that I hadn't yet written. And so I decided that it had to be told from three different perspectives. It would have to be sort of, you know, all these different characters from different parts of the society would have to come together and, you know, the, their their lives would become intertwined. Um, I, was just, I, was, I was just writing a book based on the jacket copy that I had imagined, mm-hmm. um, which was a very bad idea. And it became very clear that it was a bad idea because about a year after I began writing this, it just, it fell apart. I mean, these characters were not real people. They, I didn't, I didn't feel anything for them. I was only writing them because I thought that was what one ought to write, and that was the thing that was going to make me see get taken seriously. And uh, it was a difficult thing at the time, but I, I, you know, I'd written several hundred pages, and I'd put it all aside. Rather, I just I threw it away. And then I... Did you write long form or did you type? I typed. But it was still, you know, a fair number of words. And then that was a difficult time. That was a bleak time because I thought that I had wasted more than a year. And I don't really recall how or why this happened, but I thought of a sentence and the sentence was, I am 30 years old and that is nothing. And it was an interesting voice. 
So I went back to, I told you about the the piece of writing I had done before Iowa. Mm-hmm. I went back, even further back, to the story upon which I had based that initial piece of writing, which was a very bad story. And I took it up from really the first inception of these characters, and I went back to the original characters, and I decided to write it in first person. And I know that writing, I knew then, and I still can see that writing it in the first person was in some ways a risk, right? You give up certain things when you write in the first person. What do you give up? You give up omniscience. You give up authorial distance in some ways. You can, it's harder to signal what the author knows versus what the character knows, or rather what the author knows that the character doesn't know. You tend to get mistaken for your narrator. Uh, You are trapped by a single mind. You're trapped by a single set of eyes and by a certain history and by a a personality. So I knew that I would have to contend with all of those things. But it felt to me like a much more honest project a project that was risky, but it was honest because it was risky, Then, you know, so more honest than the one I had been writing all of that time, where I was, I was sort of designing it coldly from a distance in order to maximize the effect rather than honestly ask myself questions to which I didn't have the answers and use this character in order to try to answer those questions or explore, you know, the, at least the ideas that were engendered by those questions. You said earlier that you felt disconnected from the characters when you were writing them in the third person. Did putting it in the first person help you connect? More? Absolutely. That's what, okay, that yeah. gave you the, that was the catalyst to push it through. Yes, I, th- I really do think so. I like that. Who is, so this is, you kind of set this up a little bit, but maybe you can deconstruct it now. Who is Shalini and why is she embarking on this journey? And was it a personal journey or were there aspects of it that were personal for you? Who is Shalini? I don't think that I have the answer to that. I know her in bits and pieces, but I also understood while writing the book that she was, she's a hard person to know. And part of the problem is that she is so successful at hiding her own, her motivations from herself. So, for me, as a, as the writer, that makes it doubly difficult because she's not forthcoming. She's used to keeping secrets, and she does keep secrets all through the novel. So it's hard for me to answer that question definitively. Who is Bashir? <laughs> and and on a what you know, without giving a lot of the story away, there's a north northern pole of India, and there's a southern pole of India that's kind of explored. Um, indirectly or ancillary to the actual story and um, who is he just in general and why is he traveling so far south from his home year after year can you can you set that up a little bit okay I can set it up in yeah. a in a in a superficial sense yeah. certainly he Bashir Ahmed is a man who is from a small village in the northern state in the northern state of Jammu and Kashmir and he's from a very remote part of that state he travels around the rest of the country, selling clothes, essentially, from door to door. He goes door to door as a salesman. 
And that is his ostensible reason for traveling. But I also think he is a restless person who has trouble being at home. So part of the reason for his constant movement is this desire to escape, to always be going on to something else, to always be leaving. The relationship between him and Shalini and her mother is secret. And other than that being like a plot device, was there was there some sort of intention or message behind it culturally or uh, socially that was going on? Like, uh, again, as I read through it, I was wondering, like, why is why are these encounters? I think there's a line or there's a paragraph that you talk about in the book how, about how Shalini describes the afternoons were for Bashir and the evenings were for dad. Um, can you can you parse that or talk about that a little bit? Sure. So so Bashir Ahmed comes to Shalini's house when Shalini is first, I think, six years old. And that is the first time he comes. And as soon as he arrives, Shalini realizes that there is a strange sense of recognition between her mother and this man, who is at, a, at the time a stranger to, to both of them. And he makes repeated visits over the years. And she tells nobody about those visits. And I think that there are a few reasons for that. One is that it is not really usual for a middle-class Indian housewife to have young male friend who keeps showing up always when the father is not there. Shalini, despite being young, understands that there's something irregular about that. Talk about, uh, sorry to cut you off, we're talking about the 90s, right? We're talking right? about the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about, well, the the, the late 80s and then through the 90s. Yeah. Yes. And the other reason that she says nothing is because she senses that her mother wants her to say nothing, even though her mother really doesn't say, don't tell anybody. And she, she and her mother... Well, her mother is a very secretive person in general. And Shalini sort of adopts this habit of secrecy from her. And, and secrets form a great part of the novel and a great part of her character. She's a character that, who reveals very little about herself. Until she has to. It almost like, it's almost like she has to. Yeah. Um, but there was no message or no social message I okay. was trying to convey. Talk for a moment about the differences between the regions of India explored in the book. Can you analogize to anything stateside without oversimplifying that makes sense? No, I, I probably couldn't. Yeah. I didn't think so either. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to India since I since high school, but um, I know that they're just very, very different. They're they're sep- they're virtually separate countries. Yeah, um, your the language is different, the food is different. Yeah, language and food are the two yeah. the two real marked changes that you'll notice whenever you go from one region to another. Can you talk a little bit about Kashmir, the region, the history, the religious complications, and the present state? Um, maybe give us like a 101 <laughs> on on that, because it, it's, it's sort of is a character in the book. Yeah. Okay, I can try, but I will make the caveat right off the bat that it's a very very complicated history of course that goes back thousands of years really right so i am bound to make some omission or mistake and for that in advance (laughs) i apologize absolutely all right um 
You can, if it helps, you can frame it in the context of your story. You know, what about it? What uh, nuggets of the history attracted you to it? How do you see it? And, um, and, and any, any thoughts or sort of maybe a commentary on the, on the present state of things? The, the, the things that most people will know about Kashmir are that it lies between the nation of Pakistan, the nation of India, um, and it is the, the, it, ha, it actually has several parts. One is administered by the nation of India, one is by, the, by Pakistan, and there's a de facto border that runs through it called a line of control. And this line of control came into being when the British were leaving India um, and Pakistan was formed in 1947. And it remains the border because there hasn't been a, a resolution of, of that, that situation yet. Um, it is one of the most... It's a, it's a, it's a fairly militarized zone um, and there have been insurgencies in the past either for, for independence or for accession to Pakistan. And there was a, a very difficult period, bloody period in the 90s where the native Hindu population um, left en masse because of the threats they felt they faced from, from, all the, from all the insurgency. And it remains more or less unresolved um, to this day. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and thank you. And it's just it's it's a uh, it's useful for context. People that are going to come to the book, um, they may not know it. It's not as documented or as covered in the press, at least in the West. Like not synonymous, but it's uh, similar to like the Israel Palestine situation. Right. So unless you're kind of entrenched in it, or you're on one side, or you're kind of there, there's no real there's no real Wikipedia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a nice tidy sort of this is what's going on. Right. It is. It's very. Um intricate and there are lots of lots of different groups and and sides to the to the issue yeah but what was interesting to me was that when i i grew up in the south and i grew up pretty much alongside this most recent start you know the iteration of the the conflict and we were not really talking about it very much either mm-hmm you know, all the way down in Bangalore. Right. It was not like these were hotly debated issues. You know, you the it the mentions in the news were not in depth analysis. Adults weren't really talking about it around me. My history textbooks didn't really mention it, you know, other than a cursory narration of the part of partition and yeah. the creation of the state. So we more or less grew up not thinking about it while it was happening. Yeah. In the same region. Yeah. Right? In the same region, but still very far away. There was sufficient geographical distance that, you know, we were sort of buffered. And that was part of what was why I wanted to write the book in the first place, to talk about the North Pole, as you put it, and the South Pole. Yeah. And the distance emotional psychological between those two those two poles that's what drew me to the book honestly initially when i um talked to the publicist uh, this it's a story that uh i haven't seen mm-hmm. you know or at least the 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 overarching it's fiction but it's based on this uh truth that's happening in the world and it's 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 fascinating just in general when did you know that this story was a book what was the moment when did you know you had a book? 
Well, maybe when I got to like 70 pages and it wasn't done. <laughs> uh, I don't, the, the, I don't the, know, the, honestly. Yeah, the essence of the question is like, there's like a feeling, like a tipping point where you feel like, okay, this is, I'm on to something kind of thing. Right. You know what right. I'm talking about? And there doesn't have to be an answer. I ask it and it's a 50-50 across the board. So um, it's just uh, creatives listen to this and people that are aspiring to be in the seat that you're in and debut novelist. It's like, how do I know whether what I'm doing, you don't really have, you don't really know, but like, what is the moment where you feel, where you feel something, you know? I think it, I think the answer unhelpfully is the moment when you feel something yeah. and the something was for me at least a sense of of depth right I, I, what i felt and i can't i could not tell you if you held a gun to my head when that happened but i remember feeling this sense of there's something here but i couldn't you don't know it until it no, happens yeah. no i just no, give you a great. tautological answer to your question what's your process in finishing the book so how do you think about when to end and where to end creatively and in terms of commerce? <laughs> I, I'm uh, I write literary fiction. I, I don't think in terms of commerce. Yeah. Um, it always, it was clear to me from fairly early on that she would leave. She would go, Shalini would leave Bangalore, go to this village, and then she would come back. I always knew that, that there would be a return home. In what state she would be when she returned home, that I didn't know for sure. But I knew she had to come back. And so I, for me, the, the you know, I, it's a very classic form that I, it's the journey, right? The traveler yeah, yeah, yeah. goes on a journey. So I, I already had the built-in end. The book ends. The book ends. Yeah, I, I knew it, she yeah. would leave, she would have to come back. So... So for me, that was I. I had a I had a free pass on that. That's liberating. It was. It was. Yeah. yeah you know, my my the form that I chose for the novel is not in any way radical. It's been you know. Yeah. It's thousands of years old. What was the other part of the question? Um, it was just it was just the process of finishing. How do you know? How do you, how do you know? know when you're done? How do you know when to end? How do you know to, when to wrap it up with a bow? Yeah. You know, it's a kind of a, a tongue in cheek question, but the the it, it's really hard to start to even begin, and then it's also really hard to to finish. Right. Yeah. You know, even to use a sports metaphor, it's hard to finish off your opponent. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. That's that's kind of. Uh, but I think you answered it well. Like you knew, you knew that the the journey was going to come back. Yep. She has. To, she's going to come home. Yeah. So. Um, I like that. I actually think that if you use, if you use, if you don't reinvent the wheel, so to speak, you can kind of, you you can be really creative within the meat of the story. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, within that, within the journey structure, there were, uh, there were things that I wanted to do, but I, 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 I stayed fairly loyal to the, the idea of the, the young traveler going, you know, away and then coming back. What would you like readers to take away from this book? Anything at all. I I'm, I'm, I don't. I would never be prescriptive to a reader. What I hope is that they feel something. You know, they could. What they feel is entirely up to them. But I want them to feel something. The only thing I don't want a reader to do. I would consider that my I had failed at my job if a reader put the book down and said, "Well, what next?" Right. I want them to feel something. They can feel rage or disgust or anger or love or regret or whatever it is they feel. But I, uh, my battle is against indifference. 
Where's your favorite place to write? I can write anywhere. The only place I cannot write, for whatever reason, is on a plane. Because I'm always worried that someone is looking over my shoulder and reading what I've written and laughing at my sentences. Huh. But otherwise I can write wherever I, wherever I am. Airplanes are usually like the, one of the few places people can focus. But I, I guess, the, yeah, no, it's interesting. Now, maybe if I were in first class, yeah. nobody would look over my shoulder. Life, but that doesn't happen. Life is better in first class. <laughs> yeah. It's a true story. Um, have you read anything good recently? I read, I read um, a book called Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata, which is which published by Grove. So maybe this is nepotism in some way because they're my publishers too. But it, it's really wonderful. It's wry and strange. And it's set in an anonymous convenience store in Japan. And the, it's narrated by a woman who simply can't make herself be part of the human race. She's entirely different. And it asks lots of interesting questions about selfhood, the creation of selfhood, and, you know, the, the way we've structured our modern societies and who is valued and on what scale we're valued. It's very, very interesting, very, very funny. I really loved it. How do you decide what to read? What are, your, what are, what are, what are some of your filters? I have no filters. I read everything and anything. So you're indiscriminate. You I'm totally up. indiscriminate. Love it. Uh, what are some of your favorite bookstores, places you find yourself at often, if the, you have the chance? The nice thing about, um, you know, going on a book tour is that I get to go to bookstores that I ordinarily wouldn't go to. Prairie Lights has always been a favorite, of course. Um, Elliott Bay was wonderful to go to. Interrobang in Dallas was lovely. I have, uh, City Lights is wonderful as well. Where else? I, uh, book Passage... And um, I've never been to Skylight, but I will be there tonight. Tonight, awesome. <laughs> and I have no doubt that it will be a favorite. But my absolute favorite store is um, a tiny little used bookstore in Hawaii. It's near the old sugar mill, the now defunct sugar mill, and you have to sort of go off. You have to go off the road and then off the path and then off the little track, and it's tucked away back there. And it's tiny and it's overflowing with books and I, I love it. Those are the best kind. You were in India through high school, right? Yeah. Do they have bookstores in India like they have? <laughs> yes. They, okay. And what yeah. I mean by that is like like independent places where they're curated? Yeah. I think um, Bangalore actually has, I don't know that Bangalore has any. Well, it, had, it does have one. Higginbotham's I think is still well curated and Gangaram's kind of moved and I haven't been there after it moved and others I think are just franchises or chains no we have I wish for a city its size I, we, we ought to have a lot more bookstores but then Delhi has some wonderful bookstores yeah. and, and Mumbai and Calcutta but I, I'm not as familiar with those cities the book is The Far Field Madhuri thank you thank you so much You've been listening to Book Stories. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to shows. Book Stories is an alternate Thursdays production. Special thanks to Savannah Wright for production assistance. I'm Vic Singh. Thanks for listening. <laughs>